This is Have You Met. My guest today is a free spirit, an explorer, and a visionary filmmaker. He's lived an extraordinary life. He's run with the bulls, spent time in a favela in Brazil, and more recently worked as a porter for tourists in the Himalayas in Nepal. He wanted to make a documentary about the challenges he would face as a porter, and he did. But the final product ended up changing his life when he realized the true story wasn't his adventure. It was the harrowing conditions that the porters have to work in and the low pay that they do it for. Have you met Nate Menninger? So, Nate, tell me a bit about what your life was like before you recorded The Porter. Um, well, first off, I gotta, I gotta say that stash is wild. For the camera, now that we're officially recording, I would be like, damn. I remember watching, I watched one of your videos and I was like, watched some of it and I was like, if I, when I do this, I'm gonna, I'm going to comment on this mustache. <laughs> like, how are these people not commenting? So that's why it's wild, dude. It's incredible. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. I really do appreciate that. You know, it takes a lot of work, time, dedication. It's potentially my proudest achievement. So thank you very much. I mean, it's a, it's a compliment. It's also like, whoa. Yeah, I mean. I mean you, better, you better back that up. If you don't back <laughs> that up. <laughs> I mean, everybody takes it differently. You know, I like to inspire either laughter, jealousy, or just a smile. You know, any anything, yeah. uh, you know you're laughing at me that's fine I'm, I'm making the world a happier place so you know find yeah, it funny voice, all you want i feel like your voice is different than your mustache like <laughs> you know your voice is so comforting and your mustache is is just, you know pretty legit yeah anyways, you don't know you don't know how to handle it yeah i know it's uh, uh it's a good put, combo puts people off guard a little bit <laughs> yeah, which is good <laughs> thank but, you uh, very much <laughs> um I uh, grew up pretty, you know, in a kind of a wealthy, affluent neighborhood. You kind of have to use the word affluent because that's like, that's type of neighborhood. And then uh, played sports, was really dedicated to sports. You know, sports in America are like, you know, you can make it so much money. So yeah. for a young guy, it's like, get bro, get out of college and you can be making minimum 400K if you succeed at making the pro level of, of the sport. Like, that's a focus. That's a hyper focus. And yeah. uh, I hyper-focused on, on athletics and maybe I didn't train as much as I should have, or maybe I wasn't as good as I should have, but I got a ton of injury, injuries uh, in college. And my mindset is, is one of risk-taking a little bit. I mean, I'm not like wingsuiting, but types of risks and uh, like blind self-confidence. Um, and uh so when I started getting injured, it was almost like the more surgeries I get, the better my story will be when I go pro. I'll be like the pro with this many surgeries. That's the type of way my mind worked, which is just self-destructive. Also productive if you're going the right direction. But uh, so I got a lot of surgeries, probably not for reasons I needed, maybe, but I don't know, probably. And, How many uh, did you get? It was just... Uh, people have had a lot more surgeries, but for athletics in those two years, it was like, it was four operations and the fourth one was a double. And so obviously people had more, but these were hips and groin and like pretty, pretty big operations. And I didn't have like a defect or like a, I didn't have like a problem, not defect is a bad word, but like a health problem. This was just from sports and my anatomy, which is a lot from just sports and stuff. 
yeah. in such a short time. And so it left me like pretty much with different anatomy because some parts of bones were taken out and unable to compete. A different athlete all over, like not really as athletic as I was. And so when graduation came around, I never looked for a normal job because in lacrosse, which is what I played, my goal was my idea was to go from lacrosse to football because that's where the money is in America. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, everyone does finance and I didn't want to do finance. You know, I, I, sports was everything. I studied like Spanish and philosophy because I was pretty much fluent in Spanish when I got to college, university, and philosophy because. <laughs> I mean, the funny answer is you can read a paragraph of a writing of a hundred page writing and you can write the paper, you know, like I wasn't that much of a bad student, but I like to think about things, but yeah, sports was a focus. And so when that fell through, uh, you know, I can tell so many different stories, but the one I'll go for with now is that I wanted to get away from like seeing my failure on TV, you know, seeing people's Jersey that weren't mine and seeing, because I was and was and probably still am self-centered and probably was a lot more than. Um, so I just left. I took off to South America and kind of congruent with this is, is my sophomore year of college. Right when I started to get injured, I ran with the Bulls in Spain. And that's when I found like this love for. It's not just adrenaline, because if I was in a, just like that kind of addict, I'd be wingsuiter. But it was a type of immersive adrenaline so like doing something crazy but also in a different culture and immersively in like kind of becoming someone else that's doing something extreme and uh you know it's also the red bull era and like you know you see those videos on instagram of like russian guys getting close to the edge of buildings like on their hands and stuff and you're like whoa okay i gotta go big <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i took off south america and a lot of it was just, you know, a young guy trying to survive on the road and, you know, fight that that uh, reality that he didn't really have a job and having to go home and not wanting to run his parents, so staying out as long as I could and writing, you know, really long 10,000 words for like 150 bucks, which is like 10,000 words is like 30 or 40 pages. Like, that's some bad pay. And uh, just sur surviving. And that was good, you know, because part of me really wanted to survive and run away from my privilege and just like, you know, especially in athletics, people are like, you can really get a rich kid rep, not so much in lacrosse because everyone, a lot of people are rich, but if you play football, American football, it's, it's different. And I just didn't want to be that rich kid, you know, like, I like, bro, I can be poor too. Like, that's the kind of way I thought, which is wild. So there was all these different factors going into travel, but mainly just to get away and, and explore and become a ski bum and figure out my life and I had a few more adventures how long did you go uh, to south america for it was like five months close to six i, I don't know if it was into five uh, before five or after five but i did two more things there i call them projects because like they were this type of immersive extreme thing and as i did them i kind of started to hone on this idea of like oh like i came back and i was like this is what i want to do but first i'm going to try sports again because my body feels good and I, I beat my friend in a race one day and i was like oh maybe i could do it but then when that fell through after i tried at another school i was like okay it's I'm going full-fledged into this immersive concept of crazy adventuring and writing about you know 
becoming extreme professions. Yeah. And so in South America, the two projects you did, what were they? What were they? I was running with the Bulls since school sophomore year. Then the next summer I went away and I started like, I got to do one project here. I did scuba diving in Belize and I did it in a way that was really uh, red bully and dumb and kind of like uh, grew to be like uh, liking the concept of how little can I train for something that's extreme and, you know, and how, because I guess I'd like the thrill of just having to fire on all cylinders and having to learn whatever you have to learn really quickly. You, know, you got to give the crazy eyes for that. But it was, uh, when I went to South America, I, I got managed to go this uh, backcountry couloir and they say it's one of the world's biggest or something. I can flaunt that. It's definitely not one of the world's hardest. It's crazy to get to. You have to do what is it? A, it's a, like a skiing couloir, like backcountry, okay. like a uh, shoot. Yeah. A couloir is like a, one of those really skinny, like typical things you would see in a movie of people skiing. Okay, got you. It's like a small gully down a mountain. And uh, this backcountry means you have to... Backcountry technically means it's like nowhere near a lift or a ski mountain. This is side country, so you go off the lift and get there. But it was kind of dangerous. You're supposed to have an ice act and avalanche gear, and I bought the ice axe, crampons, but it was my first time, and I didn't have avalanche gear. It was a whole thing. But I was like, damn, that was dope. And I did it with a, a fellow Chilean. It was in Chile. And then I was like, that's dope. That's cool. And then I eventually managed to live at the edge of a favela in Brazil, which is like a ghetto uh, yeah. or a slum. And it wasn't in it, though. I sometimes say that, but it was like on the edge. And that's when you get thrown in. And it's not so much the danger of climbing a mountain, but now with skiing, it's like, I have to learn a language really quickly to communicate. And I yeah. like, now I'm seeing the cultural like difference of being in such a, a, a poor area, a more impoverished area. And like, just, you know, what can you learn? What's different? You know, part of me really wanted to end up in a really screwed up situation. Like I wanted to fall off a mountain and be having to survive with wolves. I would dream of that. Or I wanted to like prison break, end up in a prison and like, have to speak Spanish. I and mean, then it gets dark. Like all, all of my friends die because I can't speak being Spanish or something. <laughs> this is dark dreams. But yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're you saying. Know, How, I, I, I want the story. Yeah. How long did uh, you live on the edge of the favela, by the way? It was like, I think it was only eight days. Yeah. Uh, but what was that was like? Someone, it must have, must have been wild. Oh, it was wild. I mean, I was coming back from an island where I'd been for a month. And that's another story. But I didn't know where I was. I was like, where's Rio? And a woman told me, Rio, like, you're in Rio. Yeah, Rio is a region of Brazil, not a city. It's not a city. Right. I didn't know that. And I was like, my Brazilian, my Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese wasn't great, but she was like, follow me. All in fast Portuguese. And I followed her one bus, and then two bus. It's like, you can use Wi Fi in my house to find a hostel or a hotel. At this point, I had pulled the cord and I was going to leave in like eight or nine days. Um, I think eight days and, and so i was like i was like done you know after five months being really poor like i didn't have many clothes i was worn down i was like okay whatever like yeah I, that would help a lot i'll find a hostel hostel and i got to a place and it was uh behind a mall down an alley across from a caged dirt football arena probably like 40 yards long with holes in it and 
there's three steps up and there was a brick, there was bars on the one window and no window, just bars. And you go in and then it was uh, three big bars on one wall that looked into the second room in which there was nothing. There was nothing in this room. I mean, it was just a fan overhead. In the foyer and the, and the entrance, there was a little table and her, her son's girlfriend and son and I introduced and walked into the empty room and there was a couple more rooms of beds. And she just pointed to the corner and said, you can sleep there. And it was just in a room with nothing and sleeping on the floor. I think they gave me a couple blankets and they did give me a couple. And, uh, you know, you wake up, the, the mom would be rolling by, the mom who found me would be rolling by in her underwear early in the morning, yelling. And you're just completely emerged to someone else's life and home. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, it, you know, you were jumping trains like and the train is already super poor and it's just she was kind of like the hub of the area so a lot of people came by there to like you know talk and eat food or i i don't even know it was just really welcoming and despite the lack of resources we have in america it was much more open in a lot more ways and so i was like Oh, this is dope. And I, I found an ability like to learn a language super quickly. It's not that I can learn a language super quickly. I can just become like really, I can become, I can get like a marginal professional, like a low professional level very quickly. But I can't really do much better than that. Maybe in just some things that I love and I practice for a long time, but I can learn things very quickly. And then after that, I, I, I can't really exceed. So I just kind of, focused on that skill unless it's like i do like writing and stuff but how did that begin for languages just to quickly divert away from from where we are we'll come back to this yeah. point the favela but how did that how did that happen like because uh, in the porter you speak nepali um you just said you spoke spanish before you even got to to college and how did you yeah is it just something innate excuse the the name pun there innate um but is it just yeah just within you you just have this ability you're just born with it or is there more to it yeah i don't like i said i don't think it's the languages i i think it's just like i have to have the motivation and then i just really like immersing myself and so when i went to spain when i was younger i guess i had a, a spanish like not like a house someone helped around the house and she'd sometimes speak Spanish when I was young. So maybe that helped ingrain it a bit. Um, they, that's what my parents say, but uh, not like a full-time nanny or anything. My, my parents were helping just, which is okay. Some people do that too. I didn't, yeah. But anyways, uh, I went to Spain and I just like, I just wanted more authentic, you know, every experience is authentic, but I wanted more of wherever I was that experience, you know? And so when I went to Spain, I, I'd want to party with the Spaniards and then you got to speak as much Spanish as you can. I didn't want to be near the other foreigners because at that time I just didn't want to, I, I wanted to different and the more language you learn, the more key you have. And, and so that's just how it came. And then you learn a couple languages. I don't know. They just kind of fall in. I, I just always do language as a key to the world. And if you learn language, you can meet more people, maybe enhance your, your chances of finding the, the right partner for you. And uh, that was my theory. So it's cool. It's, it's, just... it's pretty spot on. I mean, there's definitely no harm that can come from learning more languages. And it definitely is going to uh -huh. open more doors and make things more accessible and make you more accessible to other people. 
Um, but yeah, go back to the favela then and like take me forward from there. Like, how did you, what year was that that you yeah. spent that, those eight days around the favela on the edge of the favela? That was 2017. Okay. So where did you go after that? Then I went home, tried to play sports for a few months. And because I won that race down in yeah. South America with my friend, <laughs> but I got injured really quickly on, I was set to play football. I dropped out and it was like, okay, I'm launching this full idea. I'm, I'm, I got to make this my life and I'll do something super crazy. This go from the westernmost point of Asia to the easternmost point on a, on a motorbike. And uh, I'll try to make a film. And I tried to mobilize all these people and uh, in the end just failed. You know, Kickstarter failed, lost some money. I can never run a Kickstarter, but I was like, okay, I was in living in DC because I had moved there to get visas for the countries you have to pass through which I never did really. So that's probably on me. I didn't have the motivation, but uh, it's like, what can I do? I, I, not the motivation. I just didn't have the insight of how to do it or motivation. I don't know. But what can I do that, that I don't have enough money? Like I was working as a bartender in DC for a few months, which was great. And I made a lot of money, but very stressful. And I just felt like I wanted to do something else. You know, I think it's better to say else than more right now. Like, yeah. Yeah, because sometimes maybe that's someone's calling, but yeah. I wanted to do something else, and so I was like, "What can I do for the money I have? I can go to like what's crazy." And I don't know why I just thought of James Bond in like those monasteries in the mountains, and like just the fantastical idea of that. And I've always heard I've heard of mobile science. I took a Tibetan Buddhism class. I don't know how much I listened because noble science, I don't know if it's really a thing, but I thought it was. And I was like, yo, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn Nepali. I'm gonna go to freaking Nepal. And I'm just gonna go into the mountains and like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna speak Nepali and see if I can convince a monastery to let me stay there for three months, like three months to speak to noble science. And I started learning and I was super motivated, like super motivated. Uh, and then I found out that this is not really the thing, you know, but I'd already either bought my ticket or learned some of the language. And I found out there was like a course called Papasha, which you can do in UK, you can do in America, you can do it everywhere. But I was like, I convinced myself, whatever, I'll just do it in the most authentic place, which might even be India, but I did it in Nepal. <laughs> at that point I learned the language and I was like, whatever, I'll go and I'll do that project and I have some money and maybe I'll try and ice climb and then after I'll write and I'll finally finish these books that I've been working on and that's the plan and so that's what I did I uh obviously the wasn't as set in stone as the plan is but I did the Vipassana and then after I went trekking and I was like well opportunity came up to do ice climbing and uh I paid like no money and did this ice climbing thing it's like a beginner mountain and i was like settled down in this village afterwards this city in the west of nepal which is paradisical and i was like writing and that was <laughs> easy to walk through my whole life but this is like that was uh where things changed and yeah then there was a, a whole lot of kind of craziness but I don't know. Do you want me to keep going? Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm hanging on your every word here. I'm not. I'm not okay. like falling asleep or anything. I'm just intently listening. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. I, I try and condense it. I went to Pokro. and moved into this apartment. Pokro is the name of the city. And moved into this 
hotel, $6 a night, I believe. Beautiful view. Pokhara is now blossomed with tons and tons and tons of more hotels. So I think the view is obscured, but at the time it wasn't. Beautiful view of a lake. Uh, there were like fellow hippies, fellow travelers around, and it was just a nice place to detox and write. And like, I, I was really confident, you know, I was, I was like, you know, I was, I was pretty confident. Uh, I just done all this stuff and I was writing and I, I knew that I was doing, and right next to me lives this guy who's really old. He told me he was 98. I thought he was 98 and he is not 98, but I thought he was, he's a painter. <laughs> he's a painter. And it turns out, you know, as I've said to someone else before, paraphrasing, like I knew myself, and I knew how committed I was. And I met this guy and he was like very similar to me in his commitment. So I don't know painting, but he's very old and he expressed like that, you know, he's a legit painter. And uh, like, like this is his whole life, like uh, everything that matters. Mm -hmm. And I was like, bro, this guy's like, just picking up his energy. This guy, this guy's like Picasso of our generation. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, like what are like, kept showing me the way he talked about it, the way he handled himself regarding painting, the, his depth of knowledge. It was just like, okay. And he was super welcoming. Like I could write something and read it to him. And I was so comfortable doing that. And so we became really good friends. You know, this young 22 or something year old and this really old guy. Uh, <laughs> he would hate if I said that. He'd be right <laughs> but but uh, so we became really good friends. And that's important for later. At the time I was writing and I kind of realized like no one's going to buy my books because, you know, millennials don't read and no one's going to buy my books because like, I'm not, there's no reason to buy them. Like I'm not famous. I, and there's no pull. Like, I guess, yeah, you could write the book and spend years and years and, you know, doing that, but maybe I wanted more of an immediate payoff or to see it. And, uh, Went home, did some crazy thing where I dressed up as a monk, which is very insensitive to local culture, but also weird to dress up as someone else and like experience what you feel in an airport. So probably insensitive of me, but I did learn. And then got home, next project, boom, I'll become a stripper and become a cage dancer in Germany in an underground nightclub where I've heard they had sex there. That's the goal whipped myself into shape partly because i wanted to see if i could even look really ripped you know you always like hide these projects behind things you want to see if you could do <laughs> and moved to spain i don't know i that was close to ibiza so i'd been to ibiza once i figured i could start in ibiza and then make my way to germany or something got to spain uh, got a job as a stripper and got told many different things and never actually danced but i got i practiced in my room the chanting tatum moves and and uh, while I was in Spain, I got a job guiding. I had applied to Nat Geo and they offered me a job for a relative company. The point is I took it because I figured I know what I want to do. And if I work for this company here or related company anyway, then I could pitch what I want to do, which is these crazy yeah. things. Worked for them. <laughs> now we're just bullet points. Worked for them. During that, worked a lot, discovered like, whoa what would be crazy is if i became a porter on mount everest you know like because we were talking with someone they were high up in the almost government here big ngo and 
that's a good idea. We could raise money. We could work, we could put this NGO and every, the pieces just started coming together. And I was like, okay, well then, yeah, like that should be filmed. That should be, that should be a filmed project. This would give me proof for the books that would sell. Um, so I started drafting that, drafting that, that ended as I'm drafting it, moved to England where the painter lived, lived with him, uh, got distracted. The, the director of Black Mirror was near him. He connected me with him. I started writing for the director of Black Mirror, thinking that if I sold a TV show to Hollywood through him, then I could get my own. That fell through. I was crazy. Not fully crazy yet, but screwed up. And then I was like, whatever. At this point, I'm just going to launch my own thing. I'm not going to rely. I'm just going to do the movie and put everything I had into the movie. And uh, then, you know, you did. Ended up in a, ended up in Nepal. Everything fell through. It didn't have much money, but got a gift from my grandpa last minute. Had raised a bit from my friends, a very bit, just from three people who decided to give money. And like I said, everything fell through. But then we kind of rebuilt it here, and and I re- helped rebuild it in a few weeks, and then just didn't raise the money to summit Everest, which was my goal as a porter. Okay, that was your goal. I was wondering about that as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I was like, I'm not leaving here. My parents are going to think I'm freaking out of my mind if I come back with nothing. Like, I got to do something. I'll just go to base camp. Like, yeah, whatever. I'll just do that. And uh, which ended up, you know, that trip ended up just completely changing my whole life. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I just keep rolling. I mean, it's great so far. I mean, you've got us up to the the beginning of your documentary, so that was like a yeah. an insane. That was like a somewhere between detailed and summarized, yeah, like summary of your life up to now, I guess, which is which was awesome. Um, I enjoyed. Yeah, that. that was your question. I, that was your question. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Right, we stopped there. What what? That was your question. What led to the porter? So let's go for question two. Um, <laughs> so uh so tell me about filming the poor um but yeah no seriously i mean it, i've watched it a couple of times and it looks like you know an unreal adventure experience whichever word we're going to use um but like in so many ways right like the physical toll it must have taken on you the mental toll it must have taken on you but then also like building these it seems like you built some really cool relationships with some of the local guys some of the porters there and and yeah, like what was your mentality going into it versus coming out of it? And like how different was it to your expectations and, and how did it change your life, I guess? So answer that however you want to answer that. We'll see how this how long this one takes. <laughs> no, uh, okay. no time limit. I uh yeah, you can edit it. That's that's your word. <laughs> but I'll share. Um I uh started the film and my only thing, you know, I still very much fame oriented and having written for the black mirror and been further consumed in that world i had only become more fame oriented you know my, my instagram put out videos before i went were just like if i can do it you can too and uh and and maybe that's good for someone but that was uh where i stood you know where i was thinking i was thinking i want to be famous and so how do i get famous well i better do this as deep as i possibly can you know like down to what kind of accessories do they have? I'll have the same accessories. Not going to wear sunblock. They don't wear sunblock. I'll drink tap because they drink tap. I'll wear the same. How many shirts? I'm not going to wear uh, uh, like 
Nike dry fit shirt because I, I they might not have that. So I wear a cotton shirt, cotton shirt for 23 days, no showers, like everything, everything that they do, I'll do. And as I express it to someone, you know, first of all, I've never made a movie either. <laughs> like I no, I I had no idea what I was doing for a movie. My dad had made some movies, so he had outfitted me with like, you know, we had some I had some hard drives, I had a GoPro, I had this camera, which I obviously I didn't he, he taught me a little bit how to use camera, but I didn't know and I didn't really want to know. Um I, I someone else was gonna shoot it. <laughs> that was my theory. And uh no Did idea. you have a cameraman uh, with you? Did you have some yeah, filming they, camera person? I I Oh, camera woman who I wanted to come probably was in love with ended up not coming, which is probably my fault too because uh, I just wasn't. We were I was bad communicating and probably self centered and didn't deliver on what I promised as well. Uh, it wasn't the ever summit, you know. Things changed, but just bad communication. It wasn't all me, probably shared, <laughs> but not her fault. I don't know. Anyways, anyways. Someone I met here a few days before I decided to shoot, cool. but I'd still never really ran a project. You know, like this was money that people had given me and that was on the line. So I had all this. It was only a few thousand that people had given me. But that's a lot. You know, that's a, yeah. that's a lot of money that someone's given you to do something, and you've told yeah. the world you're going to do this. And and making a film is is super detailed. You have to know, especially like an adventure or an expedition or a trek. You know. 20 odd some days away from places where you can buy things that you'll need to buy, you know? So you have to have what accessories are you going to bring? What's the cost budget of this? What can you bring? What can you not bring? What filters, what not filters? I don't even know about film, but what do you think? Okay. Well, we'll go with that. Well, that's too expensive. Okay. At the same time, I'm preparing to dive fully into like pretty much method acting, you know? So uh, it goes on like that. And the hardest part for me is staying in the it's not a role but in you know this job role at the same time while like making sure that the film is being carried out because mm -hmm. i just met this guy so i don't know how my trust levels were anyways uh we did it and as i explained to someone you know what would you do if you followed your your is it your wife or girlfriend Mine, my my girlfriend, my partner, or well, fiance, I guess, if you want to be a Fiance's technical about it. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what would you feel if you followed your congratulations? By the way, that's thanks. A bit late, oh. but you know, it's, it's fine. <laughs> I actually get well. You just could have interviewed me earlier. No, but uh, what would you feel if you like brush your teeth at the same time? Your fiance brush your teeth. What would you feel if you you know put your shoes on at the same time? If you ate the same food at the same time? If you followed her and mimicked her for however many days what would you feel you know in theory would you feel a percentage of what she feels maybe i think so because i came back after shooting this film twist of events happened and i could reroute my flight and i was like oh my god i once wrote this thing when i was younger i'd go straight to from the himalaya to the hills of hollywood so i'm going there and uh went to hollywood and tried to sell the film and me as this series gallivanting person and saying i'm just george plimpton and anthony bourdain and this nelly bly combo and uh just tried to sell it there and uh at the same time dropped 
my mind just started deteriorating and uh, wasn't really sure why. Um, oh, I, I left that out. I kind of like, I kinda took way too much weed. Uh, I didn't really smoke. I ingested way too much weed right before the film and had like a really bad trip. And I'm not really a drunk guy, so a bad trip is was really bad. And I'm really sensitive and maybe weak in many ways. So it really screwed me up. And that stuff started to come back. I was just so convinced that if I tried to do this, like no amount of pain could screw me up, you know, no amount of, I could just separate myself from everything, but I was separating from life. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I was reaching the point, I was closing my eyes. I just wrote this because I'm writing it all up. I closed my eyes on an airplane and like would float away. Like, not like I'm choosing to float away. Like I literally feel like I'm, which is a terrible, terrible feeling. It's really scary. You know, I was looking at things and thinking the simulation stuff where everything's in my head and in my hand, and it was only getting worse and worse, but I was still trying to sell it in Hollywood. And it came to a point where I needed to have a trailer for this company, uh, which was Spyglass, which was like incredible, you know, because I kept getting great meetings. So it kept fueling my ego, and uh, or not ego, just kept fueling me. I don't know if I really believe in the ego thing, but maybe. But anyways, I... Uh, I had to cut a trailer and it was either stay there in LA and work with someone who's my dad's friend, which I didn't want to use my family at all, but that was the only option I had or go home and work on my dad's editing computer, which again, I didn't want to use my family at all. Like I, I, I just, I hated my privilege. I hated everything about it. I didn't want their help at all, but I was fucked up. That's the only right word. And uh, I went home. And so Obviously, I didn't tell anyone I was screwed up. I just got to editing. I didn't know how to edit. So my dad taught me, you know, how to upload the footage and what buttons to press. And then I said, I need your help. And I kicked him out. And then, I, you know, then I got controlling and spent the next six, seven months, eight months, maybe just editing. You know, my parents moved from there to Atlanta. I followed them because I, you know, had no money. I ran out of all of it in L.A where I had started moving for the stars like Kardashians and I was a furniture mover. It, yeah. Ellen DeGeneres. I was moving furniture house. I was thinking like- I'm You actually moved her furniture? And Ellen DeGeneres, yeah, and Kardashians. <laughs> I was in the house. I was going to plant a note saying like, I have like, trust me, I have a story for your show. But, but I didn't. I thought that would be too much. So I didn't. And then- and then that place burned down actually and then not her house the, the moving place I, think he rebuilt it. I don't know if he rebuilt it but then i was also crazy so i left really dark times i mean i'm isolated editing in a room not knowing how to edit i'm stressed i have no other way out i have this footage that i don't know what to do with but i have to make it because no I, no one's gonna make it you know but i'm still believing that if i cut this trailer maybe hollywood will bite for months i'm believing that yeah. I'm so committed. I'm so committed to my shit. Like, um, it's too much. And uh, I was alone for most of that time, living with my parents, which obviously makes you feel like fucking shit, especially in America. I mean, it's okay. And it should be okay. But in America, it's not accepted. And it's changing. But uh, I also, I wasn't just living with them. I was just dependent, you know? So which is just every time you, 
it's just a knife in the heart. It's like, I'm failing. Yeah. I'm, failing. I can't, I'm, not, I'm not providing for myself. I'm a freaking yeah. adult. And uh, made the film. Uh, made two different films. And then it wasn't until the second film that I was like, realized, you know, realized what I had and started to shift from like the making a highlight tape of me speaking, maybe putting a video of my shirt off to like, to, to realizing, you know, fuck, this is like, the, this is the story of someone else's life. I'm white. They're, they're from a different country. I, I'm, I'm American. They're from a different country. What about imperialism? What about, holy fuck, you know, what did I step myself into? I don't want to make this movie. I don't want to make this movie. I don't want to, what did I do? What did I do? I shouldn't even have fucking gone there, but I did. And if I don't share this footage, I mean, there was one fact that we made $15 at the high camp and our costs were 20. And that one fact of making less than you're spending was like, that needs to be shared. Mm. And I have the footage, but it, but all the footage is about me. <laughs> and, and fuck, fuck, what do I do? So I dove deep into like empathy, which I'd never known. And, and uh, I, I consider myself not really emotional, but that I can like, I experience them. I can choose to experience them. I don't know. I'm kind of like cold naturally, but I was like, fuck bro. They're going to see this. They're going to see this movie. Like this is their movie. Like this has to be for them. This is their story. I mean, it's my story, but it's, it's, I was living their life. So this is their life. Yeah. So it should be as accurate to that as possible. And, and everything like, I shouldn't even be talking about their, I shouldn't even be talking. I don't know shit about their fucking life. I only did it for a few days, 23 days or 11 days on an expedition. Like, God damn. So I, I got further and further and further and further. And we try to film with narration. I got further and further away from any interjection of my personality to the point where like, I, I was just cutting every possible part of me myself out as I could without hurting the story. Probably too much. And, uh, and that's why it starts without any introduction as to who I am in my past. And that's why it just cuts off. Cause I didn't even want to have a final word of like, this is the issue or, you know, like who the fuck am I to say? Like, and then I made the movie, released it, found out that three months prior to filming, there was a government bill passed that said, the workers get $20. We got 15 other workers got less. So now I realized that this government bill isn't followed and my company can be screwed that because they were paying less. And now I'm like, wait, no, that's not right. They were the only ones who went on a limb to protect me. So I'm going to email others. Now I find out it's a giant issue. <laughs> There's like, no one's following this rule. Yeah. And, you know, your first idea is to cast blame upon others. And, you know, and I did that for a bit and, it, nothing happened. Nothing was growing. Nothing was changing. And, and as I'm doing, like, as I'm marketing the film, because uh, I have to, because my whole life's in it. Um, like it's my only ticket towards any career. Uh, I, I'm caught between, like, super conflicting ideologies. So one time I'm getting, like, thousands of views overnight. And I'm like, God, that's freaking dope. I'm going to be famous. I'm freaking dope. Like, I'm freaking <laughs> running around like a madman. Like, I'm getting so much energy from this yeah. that I have to just run. I, like, 
because I'm also been isolated for so long. You know, my, my mental, I've been fighting through this bad mental stuff. Like who knows how stable I am. And uh, I'm feeling, I'm like peeling energy every time someone sees it. And then it dies down and no one's watching it. And I'm like, I just give up. And then I'm like, Fuck, if, I, if I give up, no one's going to see this. And then kicks in the empathy of like, no one's going to, nothing's going to change. So I'm, I'm battling between being like a fame seeker and making money and and trying to and change like, the world. <laughs> yeah. And not even trying to change it, just feeling guilt. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it gets to the point where, um, I, I don't know, the film gets quite big. I don't want to accept any money. Uh, I realize that the tourists are half the issue. You know, I, I start to realize it more on a, like, a bird's eye view like oh shit tourism like, is not up to countries to regulate because tourism comes from external systems so no matter what regulations not no matter what but regulations you mean make in a country can be subverted by the tourists who come in any in any tourism-based industry because they make the prices ultimately i mean if i'm a tourist i'm like i want to pay this you know they don't make the price, but they're they're half responsible, you know. Yeah, so that's why yeah. I was realizing, like, yo, everyone's responsible. It's not just these people or those people. And and part of me wanted to reveal all the information I learned, like about how there's really bad shit. And then I did research, and I found out the people I worked with, the ethnic group, they were once slaves, like legally enslaved people, mm-hmm. and that one of the legally enslaved jobs was that of reporter, and that mountaineers didn't even know this. And their poorest were likely either still enslaved or recently off of slavery, but still in the slave system, kind of like in America. And I was like, yo, I need to get this out there. But I couldn't. So I wrote that. I couldn't get it out. I wrote that. I couldn't get it out. Um, at the same time, I had emailed everyone in this marketing thing. And the UIAA, the International Climbing and Mountaineering Federation, was one group. And they said, like, they got back to me and I was like, whoa, that's a pretty crazy email. I didn't even, I was just emailing everyone, you know, when I ran a marketing campaign, but they got back and I was like, who's like, oh, wow, that's cool. You know, I'm not a climber. Um, and they're like, yeah, hey, we want to support this. I was like, that's dope. And they're like, oh, we need Nepal's approval because they're like the United Nations of climbing and mountaineering. You know, there's all these countries have different associations or federations and they report to this governing body and uh or not governing but kind of and i was like that's dope and paul and paul agreed and they're like hey we want to accept donations and then i'm like uh, we can't we can't do that because part of the reason why i didn't really want to make money i felt really guilty is because like i'm making money off these people's backs like like that's bad but who who can i give money to if i just give money to the two workers i worked with what about all the other workers and if i just build one school what about all the other schools which sounds like i'm such a good guy but it was just because i was caught in this like you know just because of the age i'm born in we're super focused on rewriting imperialism and fixing it and so i was aware and uh they said donation. I was like, we can't. Like, we can't. There's no way to give them. There's no, we have to fix the system. And I was having all these calls, and I had thought, you know, some guy suggested a certification system. And I was like, wow, that would be it. And then we can make a fund, and the fund could lead to directly improving their welfare. And a lot of conversations later, they decided to launch what we call the Mountain Worker Initiative. And uh, 
the idea was to make ethical guidelines in countries. And then I kept saying to certify companies that need this. That was never fully agreed, you know, but that's my goal. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we launched it. Nothing happened. Uh, I was really unstable and like was was questioning every. I was questioning everything. I was questioning my sexuality. I was questioning just like I was just all over the place. And mm -hmm. I had had a call with this guy Conrad Anger, who's a really yeah. famous mountaineer. And yeah, I know of Conrad. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a mountaineer. But God damn, what, yo, I was geeking. I was geeking out. Like I was, I was in the shower, but like freaking shaking. I was like, yo, this guy is super, this guy's like Tom Brady, you know, the Lionel Messi of this sport. Like, damn. And <laughs> yeah. I, I had a call. I was like, hello? You know, I gave one of those like really chill answers. And we talked for 45 minutes. And after the call, I was like, damn, Conrad, putting me his life adventuring like i'm just sitting here doing nothing i haven't even done an adventure in two and a half years like i'm freaking i'm falling behind I, like I'm, I'm falling behind my adventuring i'm falling behind so i packed everything in a car and took off and it's important here to note like i was not a filmmaker and i made this film based off of following that emotion remember when i said what would you feel if you followed your girlfriend no i'm not member i'm, I'm like <laughs> It's a test. I no, but <laughs> I've been testing. No, I'm just kidding. But I said that because when I came home to cut the film, I'm not a filmmaker, but I could do it because I had this feeling. I didn't know what the feeling was, but I just like honed in on that feeling and was like, "Does if I if I cut it here, does that feel good? No, that that's not in line with the feeling. Okay, well, and I just thought that's how I cut it, and I had gotten like artistic visions and that was crazy you know and uh when i got in this car i was so lost in my life questioning everything sexuality everything i was like i'm just gonna follow this feeling this feeling is like hey i'm just gonna follow this feeling and like i got so crazy i got so nuts that i was like following the feeling down to the street turn mm. you know like oh, should i go down this street i don't know uh, I'll go down the street. And how long should I drive for? But I should go down the street. And I gotta to the point where it was like I had obsessed so much about the film, about every freight because I had put so much pressure on these these people. I put the pressure of their issue on on me. Mm -hmm. uh, that I had obsessed so much with the film that it carried over, and I was still obsessing with everything now. And then I started obsessed on this feeling, and should I follow it here or should it there? And to the point where I was like. I was like, I should stop. I should go on. I should film that. I should go on. I should stop. And then I flipped my car <laughs> and car landed and uh, did a, did a flip, like a top. Like a few to, rolls. No, just like a, just hot, just a 180. Uh, 360. Okay. Oh, back on your wheels. <laughs> back on my wheels. Pickup truck. Okay. Okay. Listen to my friend's music. Fucking music still playing when we land. I'm, I shut the music off. I'm fine. I'm fine. I get out. My mind is like gone. Mm. It's it's not. It's like floating. 
and uh, someone picks me up and I had been going down south to Mexico. I was going to go and just like whatever, live there and write. I just needed a rest. I just needed a rest. But I had turned around because I had done woofing and I was like, oh, I should help this person. It sounds like they're they need some help. And that's when I flipped my car and it was close to the woofing, the farming place. So I got a ride to a Walmart and then they came and picked me up. I stayed there for a few days and I felt like I was in a fog um, for a while. And then I got a rental car and I didn't know what to do. So I went to, uh, I like hunkered down in South Texas and there's a lot more to the story too, but I hunkered down in South Texas and just like was sat by myself and was writing and writing and overworking and writing. And in, in my mind, I just need to get off everything that happened in the last few years to explain my mind to someone, you know, to get it off my chest because I'm, I'm fucking drowning here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, well, I, I, I like got to the point where I was like, I'm going to sit down and like, like my ball, I felt like I was changing every second. I got to the point where I sat at the edge of my bed and I was like, I'm going to find out what the Buddha found out right now. And I'm thinking as I'm doing it, as I'm like, wow, this is where they're going to say, like, I'm the Buddha, you know, like, I'm on one. And um, I decided to come home. And then, yeah, and there she gets just absolutely wild. I just started to see signs and everything and visions and fucking thinking I'm reincarnated. That's a whole other story. But I started voicing more of my parents, you know, if they asked if I had violent thoughts, I was like, yeah, like, no, I was telling, I was finally like, I'm telling, I'm telling fucking, you know, I'm, I'm worried about, what about my sexuality. Yes. I have violent thoughts. Like I'm, I'm getting, I'm coming clean. Mm. And the more I came clean and started digging at my past, the more this like energy started to consume me until I, I wasn't sleeping. I was just like vibrating in bed. I was like, I was starting to break down boundaries of like, everything I, I almost i almost saw like a grid in the sky like it was like an acid trip but i wasn't on acid yeah and not acid and uh then went to the hospital for like you know i was scaring my parents and i was i was i was so possessed with energy that i was like i, I don't want to lose control you know and i thought i was just like a vessel for god or whatever but I like also the devil. I thought I was the devil and that we need to love the devil. Like, I was like, this is my message. Like I'm the devil and the devil loves too. Like that was my, Whoa. that was my message. And uh, I'm here to share that. And fucking, it was a lot. Bro. I thought I was gonna have an extra. Anyways, went to the hospital, spent a while there, came back, had really dark thoughts and impulses and went to another place because these were like really bad impulses and, and a desire to do the really bad thing. And, uh, but I had been brought up with that. That's not what you should do, you know? Yeah. Even though you want to, I just, I shouldn't. And so, uh, went to a couple more hospitals, got out, you know, by the third hospital, third, I don't know if it was fourth, three, it was like four or five months. Um, and that's, uh, it was the shit. Wild. The first one was just like felt biblical or something. But yeah. by the end of the third one, I got out. You know, I had just like been completely. I'd lost complete trust in myself. Everything I had experienced, I was told was a lie or this or that, and I just 
was completely fucked. Like my confidence, everything needed stability. Emailed the UIAA. <laughs> That's if they had any work. Mm. Someone was pregnant. Um, I, I can take her job for a few months. And so I took her job and got a film tour in Europe. Like someone asked to fly me out to show my film, not a tour, just a, a screening. It was near Switzerland where the UIA was headquartered. So I stopped by there. And the night before I got there, they're like, hey, we already know what you want you to do. We want you to do her work, but we also want you to like lead this mountain worker initiative. And I'm like, what? Like, that's what I always wanted to do. But now I get like, I can do it for real. Like, maybe make a living. And, and so fast forward, uh, a couple months later, I just left for Nepal. I was like, I'm doing this. And, you know, part of this has been like trying to just regain stability. You know, like getting out of the places that were making me feel these really bad things and thoughts and I, just trying to regain any semblance of what I used to be. And so leaving, coming to Paul was like, whatever, like, I, it's just, it's hard, but it, it might make me feel better. And I came and then, and then, bro, now, now I'm like, I think I'll always struggle. And once you go, once you go off the rails, I think there's always a cloud there. Mm -hmm. um, but I am uh, I'm just confident so like I had a lot of ideas and things I wanted to do and, and they're coming together more so now and I have to get a better grip like I like to live on the edge of creation and innovation but I can't be consumed by things so much but anyways I'm here in, in Nepal and I've been here for a month and a half and uh, it made a lot of progress and things are really coming together and it's like getting all these ideas of what to build and, and how to actually help. And, and it's actually like happening. And wow. so we've made almost finished the tracking guidelines. Mountaineering has never really been made because there's two industries. Um, so we're going to try and make those. And then I'm like, we need a database. So we're going to try and make an app and a whole thing that would basically be like a, a, a LinkedIn IMDB Yelp type system for all mountain workers around the world. And we establish it here in Nepal first and with that going like I still have dreams for my own company I want to create like a, a a community where ideally it has enough money where if you come to me with an idea I can fund it completely and in the end you take 50 percent I take 50 not me but the the community and that pool then funds more artists and providing a safe space for artists to create what they can create and not go through the marketing and shit I had to, you know, to eventually make a community that can distribute and do all that for people. Uh, and, and if I can succeed with all this other stuff, like I don't really want to help people, but I, I want to push boundaries. I want to experiment with quantum. I want to experiment with all this, this fun stuff, but uh, to do so, it, it's a lot easier if you help people. <laughs> It's a lot easier to it's a lot easier to help people. So I don't know. That's kind of a rundown of what I'm doing. So that's what these things by car. This is like this one is the uh, storyboard for the app. Okay. So you have to you have to make like every screen, and I don't have every screen, mm. but it's uh 
it's a lot of the screens. This middle one is the storyboard for the initiative. So like we're in Nepal, here's the idea to do the certification system, who to establish to run it, and then also making the, the app at the same time and then how to shuffle money through and then other countries go to with it. You know, like you have to expand to seven summits and then, you know, Pakistan, Tanzania or Argentina, Peru. And then this one is, is the community, the community. Yeah. And I want to build. And that's, I put it in pink. Yeah. Not only my business, but a business, a, yeah. That everyone can be a part of like, what, like, I don't understand that. That just doesn't understand. Like if you're working, if you're a human being, why can you not work with, why are we not working towards the same goal? Yeah. No, I agree. I, you know, like, I just don't understand that. Because people want to get rich, right? Because people want to get rich over, a lot of people want to do that over other stuff, unfortunately. But that's why we need more people coming up with initiatives like that and like putting them into place like you're doing and and trying to push for that. Because you're right, when you step back and look at it, it makes way more sense, right? Um, Whoa. Yeah, we're not going to, the thing is, we're not going to, like, maybe it's because I came from this wealth and which wasn't extreme wealth, but I just like, yeah, money would be dope, but like, what's money dope for to do things? And I need a ton of money to do create to, to see the innovations I want to see. It's not even I need it. I mean, I need to give to other people, or we need it. And and also, like, bro, I don't know. If we don't fix the earth, we're kind of screwed. But very much. So. Maybe, maybe very that's much fun so. too. Remember, I had some of those impulses. So who knows? Uh, uh, <laughs> but yes, are you feeling better now, though? Are you feeling good now? I mean, you you seem you seem like you are, and obviously, you've got this thing that you're focused on now the the Mountain Worker Initiative and the other stuff connected to it. So, are you feeling good? Are you feeling better? Yeah, I mean, I still I still battle a bit. I still yeah have bad impulses and and some bad thoughts. I still test myself with bad thoughts, which is really how you get there. How I got there. Mm-hmm. But I'm a lot. I'm a, I'm a lot better. Yeah, I mean, that's good. I'm a lot better. I was, I was, yeah, I was like breaking down uncontrollably, crying, like unable to articulate, and and so yeah. I, I just couldn't. I couldn't express what I was experiencing in the world. Yeah, oh, but, I'm, uh, I'm so glad you're feeling better, man. I'm so glad you're like getting stuff going now and like making all this happen. That's awesome that it all came together with the uh, that that company, that climbing organization that you that you reached yeah, out yeah. to. Big. just a lot i mean that was an insane answer to the the second yeah, question was... of this interview like that's so much to unpack i mean it's it's, it's great yeah. i mean great great stuff but like where do we even begin with that to unpack that for a minute and again i don't want to take too long with it but there's a lot so first of all let's jump into the you, you mentioned um that for a while you thought you were reincarnated do you still think oh, that yeah. what i think is that the West and the East need to come together on things because the West will just tell you you're crazy, you're up this disease or that disease. And the East might actually entertain the thought that what you're experiencing is spiritual and real. And not even East and West, just the two modes of thought, right? Yeah. Um, sometimes I don't like saying East and West because it's like, well, they're all the same. But yeah, and some people in the East would think the opposite. Yeah. Some people in the West would think, yeah. So yeah, I so agree. So I just like, there's two modes of thoughts. And, uh, I don't know. It's true. Maybe it's both. You know, maybe there was a lot of delusion, but maybe there was a lot of like seeing behind, seeing behind the curtain a little bit. And maybe that's why you're losing your mind because you're not really here anymore. And, and the thing is, is I still remember a lot of what I've experienced. So like one of my goals will be to just 
see if what I experienced is real and try to elucidate it and and break down that stuff because do I think I'm reincarnated? Like, I think it's a yes and no, you know? I think it's like perhaps the, the people who I think I'm reincarnated from live on in me, you know? And perhaps they are in me, but I'm not them. Yeah. You know, like I'm free to make my decisions and, and uh, I could be a continuation of them. So maybe that's what reincarnation is. Maybe maybe that's like a kind of like a spiritual passing down of genes, like a you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like like that kind of thing. Which maybe you know. I I mean, who's to say? I think it'd be hard to disprove that. You think? Yeah. Do you have memories? The events in my life, bro. The events in my life are freaking insane. Like it it just doesn't. It's almost too. It lines up too well to not be like okay. You know. Do you have any past life memories or anything like that? No, I mean, I don't think I do. I have a, like, I've always had like a vision of like a, a partner I want to be with. It's it's quite weird. Like, and it's like, I want to be open. I, maybe I could be with anyone, but I have this vision of like the person and maybe that's for past life. I don't know. I, I know that yeah. this woman who I met for like two hours, um, I became so obsessed with deadly obsessed and like crazy obsessed you know that that was like and uh i i think i'm a writer like writing is what i i think i I offer that's what i really need to offer to this world like my story this this will help but the writing is most important maybe for me so then you affiliate yourself with past writers like you know hemingway and someone recommended like uh, Jack Kerouac and I would never want to read his books because that they were his style was so similar to mine but when I was going nuts I googled how did Jack Kerouac die and and because I was like I don't want to die like because when I was going nuts I was like writers were starting to come to me in my sleep and I was getting like book title it was like it was a lot and Mm. I was like bro I just don't I don't want to fuck up like they fucked up you know like because I, I, it's a similar life to the Hemingway in, in that, you know? And so I saw it was like the, the woman who died at the, when, when Jack Kerouac died, the woman at his bedside was the same name, the, the woman who I met and fell madly in love with, like like an instant. And I was like, oh, he died at the age, it was just the same number I used. And he had the same like heartburn that I had. It, it, it could just be crap, but but it was too much. It was like, it was too much yeah. and to be so similar in writing and it's like okay well maybe we just have similar experiences to write from more similar people and, or maybe there's something else i don't know it'd be cool to eventually figure out if we can figure this shit out instead of just perpetually saying you know putting it up to the ether like mm. you know can we start to freaking figure out how to measure this shit and define it and like i think to do that I think people need to actually be able to be uh, more accepting of things like that, right? Like you said, like the kind of the East-West, the two modes of thinking, like in the Western world, and again, we're kind of generalizing a little bit because not everybody, but but most people in the Western world at the moment, yeah, like anything like that, I think it's like, oh, okay, so you're talking bullshit, carry on. Um, 
just an immediate like defenses the walls come up and it's kind of the same with like a lot of different things like you know like anything to do with life after death ufos are still a bit like that like the kind of taboo stuff and there's there's different you know it can be with dreams and things to do with dreams and how they can connect to the waking life and I've had a few people on the podcast to talk about kind of a few more subjects a bit more like that, but I definitely think we've got a way to go with like being more open about it. That's all it needs to be. You don't need to be like saying, like, oh yeah, I believe in everything. Everything that's weird, I believe in it. No, it's oh, just, no. you have to be open to stuff, right? You have to look at stuff through different lenses and, and we don't live in like a world that's just, we haven't, you know, our, our parents weren't born with suits on and working in offices. Like we've constructed this world on top of a planet that was already here. Like, uh, you know, we were already a civilization before that. I think there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on that we don't know about. I don't know what, is, exactly what is true and what's not, but I think there's much weirder stuff than we realize. Right. The thing is, though, it's not just it's not just looking at a different perspective. It's bridging the two, you know, yeah. like. What is it that the the America and Europe needs? They need measurements. You know, that's what they they go off of. And yeah, there yeah. of course are measurements in spirituality in countries out here, but like they need their type of measurements. And it's like, well, maybe we can figure out how to give those type of measurements to the spiritual realm. And maybe like, which ultimately, honestly, I think that's the that's the big thing of us is like that's quantum yeah. stuff, and that's like. I think it will start to happen yeah. more. Um, I do think it will yeah. start to happen more. Like there have been some really interesting studies. If you like start to look into this, like back in time, back in time, a while ago, there was like uh, studies and there maybe have been more, but there's one that I know of. There were some studies into like the effect of prayer um, and like, you know, like with, oh, with yeah, control, control groups and things like that. And like, oh, there have um, like in cities, they did one where they prayed for like a city in a different continent. And like the, yeah, the really. crime levels or something reduced. At least I saw a study. I don't know if it's real. But, yeah. Um, yeah. No, the one the one I heard about was this like really really clever lady. I I heard about it through this guy called Doctor John Mack. He was a Harvard psychiatrist, and I know him through one of my former guests, Ralph Blumenthal. It's a bit of like a rabbit hole, but anyway, she was super clever, and she worked with these uh, people suffering from a specific type of cancer, and I think. Um, she did prayer like studies on the side of that but then also she developed this kind of cancer and was allegedly communicating with her husband after she died all sorts of weird stuff but yeah. i think it needs to become more looked at in science do you know have you ever heard of robert bigelow bob bigelow no i, I a, should look uh, into other people more <laughs> check out start with this guy check out this guy he's a he's an american aerospace billionaire um, and he has major interest in, you know, topics like the, like life after death, like what happens, consciousness, what happens to the consciousness after death? Are we, yeah, is so there more than just this? And he actually funds it. He funds research with significant money. He looks into it. He's looking into, yeah. like, you know, UFOs and that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, th there are people doing it. So I think it's going to become more and more looked into. I mean, it that's, has to, right? That's, that is like the goal, the last post-it note right there <laughs> i guess that's this house of creativity that's not the last one but the idea is like the biggest issues plaguing our earth not just the global warming and the the quantum realm and and like those level of issues like why do we not have the 10 or 20 or x amount of most this level thinking it's not like they're more intelligent this is how they think this is the level they think on. why are they not in the same room why are they not funded to just think about creation creative solutions mm. like how do we make that community and company or pool of money that can like get to the level where we can like 
do that. Or we can fund people who this is what they want to think of and they can understand it and they can work together diverse in a diverse way. And that's like, that's what I want to get to the point of is like, that that would be the goal. I mean, right yeah. now, unless things change, but that, that, that would, would be, be like, that would be cool as hell, you know? And I mean, that would be cool. That I can't be very cool. Uh, I'll be, be rooting cool. for you to do that at some point. Uh, that would be. Well, it's got It would have to be us. It's not. It wouldn't be like a. You gotta. You gotta keep saying us because if, if I yeah, if okay. I get too inflated, I guess I go. <laughs> Okay, I can't wait to see that happen. I can't wait to see that happen. Um, but let's let's jump back to the uh, the doc before we before we wrap yeah, things course, up. So, my bad. So, no, 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 no. This is this is super interesting, man. I love it. Um, just tell me like a couple of kind of quick fire things, a bit more like you know, I want to say lighthearted, but some of them won't be lighthearted. Yeah. Like like you know, but what was the kind of you know best food, weirdest food you had over there or, or anywhere? I guess because you've been a lot of places. So like some of your weirdest foods and drinks and and things like that. Yeah, I haven't. I mean, I have a lot of people have traveled a lot more than me. I mean, the weirdest, the uh, doll bot is rice and lentils, and it's eaten rice and lentils, and it comes with vegetables as well. And that's eaten mostly here in Nepal as a staple food because it's affordable and there's a lot you can eat. That's usually what you eat when you're working as a porter. I mean, people got crazier things. I mean, I, I've, I've eaten some weird Do you like stuff. it? Is it good, doll bot? Doll bot? I mean, it's it's growing on me. It's growing on me. It's growing on me. But I don't. I you don't. checking around to see if there's anybody that's going to be upset? I have, the- <laughs> I have a friend here. I have a friend here. I didn't. I didn't want to. Yeah, I don't love Delba. But but yeah. you know maybe I mean with good chicken curry. Yeah, I don't even know what curry is, and I've eaten it so many times. Like I, I don't know if it's a seasoning or if it's like when it's got. I don't know. I never. Know. I think it's the. I think it's just the spices, like the, oh, okay, the okay. spices. But but what do I know either? I'm not going to profess <laughs> I know that for for certain. <laughs> I can make a curry, but I, I mean I'm not going to go into the definition you know what of I'm curry. Making. I'm like, just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so w- what yeah. about like the 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 hardest experience? Um, again, I'm talking about oh, the documentary yeah, yeah, reporter, yeah. but you can draw on other occasions if you want to. Um, but yeah, what was like maybe one experience during that or anything else where you were like this is hard i mean the whole mental escapade is a lot but honestly yeah. physical physical is a lot and when i climbed a mountain and ice and ice climbed i didn't i misunderstood the the guide and i thought he was bringing extra water so i drank my water and moved really quickly to keep pace drank my water in an hour and it was like a 10 or 11 or plus hour day uh, and so i didn't have any water after an hour and luckily I'd read this book about a survivor, this fictional book about some guy in a tundra surviving without water. But that was, that, that was like, a, I was dead. That was so hard. I like, like my bowels stopped working at like 6,000 meters. And that's only, Jeez. that's 2,000 meters less, more than Everest. 2,000 meters less plus. And I was still struggling. The oxygen was getting to me. I had no water. That day was so freaking hard. Yeah, I, yeah. I got to the bottom when we got down. I had like go in the bathroom. I was like peeing on myself. I didn't give a fuck. I was like, whatever. <laughs> it's just sweetest but, relief ever. Yeah, I didn't even. I mean, I, I pulled down my pants, but I just like I'm not peeing my clothes. Yeah, yeah. that was really uh, like ice climbing is dope because you go at night and it's the stars and you're on a glacier and you feel like James Bond. Another reference, but at the yeah. same time god it was so cold it was 
so hard. Your stomach stops working. Your, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not uh, really a mountaineer. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. What about the hundred kilo bag or or hundred kilo six bags? Um, how hard was that? That looked hard. And you you like yeah. cut up your head as well, like you were bleeding. Was no, it just no, that friction. Was, that was from uh, that was like I don't think it was holy, but it was a. a festival uh, okay, or holiday okay. where they, they put some yeah, it looks good though it looks good <laughs> it did look good you had me <laughs> um no it wasn't that but that wasn't that i mean yeah it was wicked hard but like yeah you know you're gonna do it i mean you're in a yeah. you're in a safe place like <clears throat> you have support around you you've invested so much that you have to do this as well like the second you pick that up and carry it you don't want to be rude you gotta finish it and yeah, it's, ex- it's extreme pain, but it's, it's not like your bones getting chopped in half. It's like an extreme ache. And yeah, uh, yeah it, it's like you can kind of separate yourself a bit from it mentally. And uh, yeah, I cried at the end there, not so much from the weight, but from at that point, the five years of adventuring and trying to like have a career and nothing yeah. to show for it and then finally, i could feel that to be honest having, i mean having like video proof and i was like yeah wow i took all of that <laughs> yeah and it's such a human human moment you know when you've put so much into it both physical and mental and you've seen you know the yeah, the struggle true. that these people that you're now friends with go through on like a daily basis and you feel in all of that times all the other stuff as well that we haven't mentioned and yeah it just all of a sudden that load comes off your back in that like moment and I bet that was raw emotion. I bet that felt uh, like deep. Uh, <laughs> felt like just like I can rest now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah, that's what you were saying. Is you're like limping up to the building with your, with this massive bag in your back. You're like, I'm gonna rest any minute now. I'm gonna uh, rest. <laughs> Where's just... the damn place? <laughs> but you probably yeah. do that. I mean, most people would probably do that, and people would probably do it better than me. I mean. The thing that for me, the thing, the hardest thing is the fact you got it on your head, you're carrying it with your head. And like, I'm just picturing having a headache, you know, like a migraine, a pounding headache. Oh, at the beginning. At the beginning you do. But you you get ergonomic about it. And like, you got to just carry it in the right way. You don't want to bend your back. You don't want to lift your neck or you got to move as one. And like, you figure it out. Yeah, fair enough. What about the most memorable moment? Positive, negative, neutral, anything. Memorable moment. Again, it could be the porter. It could be any of your other adventures just like what's what's a real memorable event or a experience uh, the, mem- the memorable event is when i just had all that energy and i was like not sleeping and seeing things in a very divine light and either yeah. lost it. that's that's the most memorable that's not but I, I don't actually. know if you can really say most memorable you know like i mean it's very vivid because it was kind of recent but it's I get it. Most is a, a hard lot. one to yeah, like, quantify. Like, like would it, you'd have to sit down with a calculator, pen, and paper. And yeah, I don't even know if you can. Time. I don't even know if it's possible. There, uh, yeah. I guess they're all equal. Some things you don't remember as. as... Yeah. No, I I completely. Know I feel what you're impel- compelled yeah. more to tell that one, but yeah. I still remember the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I bet. Maybe. Um, I don't know. No, man. I mean that 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 pretty much answers the question. I mean. I've heard all your memorable moments now. Obviously, not all of them, but yeah, you know, my wow! Whole life like, been like I mean, over. you told it so. You told it so well. That was like uh, I was. I was gripped. It was uh, a real, real, real journey. A real trek. A, a roller coaster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it was awesome. Um, 
Yeah, really, really fascinating. <laughs> and I'm so glad that the, the Mountain Workers Initiative is, is working out. Um, it's going to be cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so important. Like, I, I just hope that that continues to, to gain traction and, and people sharing it and all that. Obviously, I'm going to put links to that yeah, in the not, description here. It's also just not, it's not, to me, it's not Everest and it's not Mountain Workers. It's like the first time tourism, which is a massive fucking facet of our world, is being. Uh, at least that to my knowledge trying to be built up in a sustainable way like that's the point of this is creating sustainability and like you know there's no sustainable practices so much for like parasailing and scuba diving and this and that and, and yes this is everest which is great for marquee you know but it's not it's not about mountaineering and trekking it's about like it's about tourism mm. you know it's like it could be yeah. replicated for all of tourism and, yeah. Just, yeah. Okay. That's what I think. I I get big minded though. So. No, no, it's good. You got to be, man. You got to be. Um, there's a lot of problems in the world, and the more we can solve, the better. Uh, do you still want to climb Everest? Are you still going to try and do it at some point? Obviously, with no got, if someone or... paid for it, if someone paid for it for sure. <laughs> yeah. You'd no, have to I do it sure. with with some of the other porters, maybe that have never climbed it. That'd be cool. Yeah, that would be kind of cool. I'd do this one mountain called Alma de Blanc, which looks really cool. But yeah. like, I'm. I don't know. It's a little sketch, dude. It's a little sketch. There's like a knife edge and yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Once you go I, above eight thousand, they're wild. Like, uh... dude, I was driving on my. I have a motorcycle here, which I got to look cool, and it's pretty cool. But I was driving like as fast as like almost as fast as I could go, and I wasn't really getting the thrill that I maybe would have gotten from that stuff. Maybe I want to be alive more. Or in mm. this form, I don't know, but yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I wasn't. I used to not like have the fear of stuff, but now it's kind of good that I have that a little bit. Yeah, for me, yeah, for it's... me. No, I know what you're saying. Like, yeah, yeah. If you look back to uh, when I was a kid, I'd have no fear, and now you have fear because you're like, oh yeah, that that could break my back. That's not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like, what if you get a flat tire or you skid or yeah. like. I think it's it's a pretty healthy mentality to have that creep in a little bit. You don't want too much of it because then you don't do anything, but you need some. Um, look, let's wrap it up by if you've got any words or messages you want to send to anybody watching, listening. Um, it can be literally anything. Um, doesn't have to be you know, inspirational, motivational, doesn't have to be even good. It could be anything. Uh, take it away. Um, thank you for interviewing me. That's, uh, thank you for, for wanting to share my story. And I wish I could ask you more questions, but it always turns into a me side thing for other people. I mean, feel free to reach out. If you ever want to help try and grow a community and, and uh, just see how, capability of how many i guess i don't know a big of a community or something then help i mean i welcome yeah. everyone like I'd, I'd welcome everyone and if you want to reach out tonight links are in the description oh, yeah, go and watch everything. the porter as well you need to watch the porter link is in the description um really good documentary really really good documentary and i think anybody that watches it is going to be you know wanting to do what they can to help but yeah thank you nate this was awesome a lot of fun Thanks, bro. thank you thank you take care buddy have a good one thank you for listening to that conversation with nate manager i hope you enjoyed it watch like and share the porter via the link in the description and check out our links there too be nice be happy 
Beko. Cool.